holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a great reminder from that song about the God that we have the privilege to serve. And just a few things I want to remind you of. Wednesday night, we look forward to being back on campus at 7 o'clock. And we will have something for the adults in here. You'll have our prayer time, Bible study with pastor. Then in the back, we have a couple classes for the kids and for the teens back there. And let me encourage you, this Wednesday going to be a little bit different. We're going to have sort of a party night for the kids in the back. And we're going to have candy that we're going to give out to them and the teenagers. And just some games and everything back there. So invite all the kids to come be a part of that service. And uh, also encourage the kids, if they would like, they can dress up. And uh, we'll just have a fun time back there. But that's for the, uh, the kids on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And then Saturday. Saturday will be the memorial service for uh, Spike and Bonnie Spikerman. And if you're able to be here at 11 11 a.m. here in the auditorium. It'll be just a time where we get to uh, show the family how much the Spikermans meant to us and certainly grateful for uh, God bringing them here to our church and the impact they made on our church and on our lives. So I encourage you again to come out Saturday 11 a.m. We are going to have a meal afterwards that will be catered, but if you are able to come and to help serve that meal, that would be a blessing to the family and to us. So let us know if you'd be able to, uh, to do that. And then Saturday night, uh, we we have uh, canceled the trunk or treat event, and so we're going to move the, all of those sort of those things we were going to do for trunk or treat. We're going to do many of those on Wednesday night for the kids, but we will not have anything going on here this upcoming Saturday night. Thank you, Brother Mike, and uh, we do look forward to just this season as we um, just fellowship together with our families, and then we fellowship together as a church family, our school family. Just, uh, we're so blessed. I, I love the Thanksgiving season and the harvest time season and just uh, expressing our love and our thanks to God for his blessings and to, and to each other. I'm thankful for each one of you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Our tithes and offerings have just been outstanding. Uh, thankful for all of our, our people. Thankful for all of our staff and our school. Thank God uh, we've been in school 10 weeks and haven't had uh, any cases of the coronavirus. We just thank the Lord for that. And thankful for our teachers who have, are courageous and uh, have great compassion and love for our students. So uh, we just thank, we're thankful for that. Pray for our country. Today is a national day of prayer. And so just before Mr. Krasinski, Krasinski comes, is it Krasinski? I don't know. <clears throat> you think I would know how to p pronounce a Polish name, Mr. Skrzynski. Uh, before he comes and uh, preaches for us, let's have a word of prayer on behalf of our country. Father in heaven, we do thank you for America. God, we thank you for the biblical principles upon which this great country was founded. And God, we know this election coming up is, is not really about personalities. It's not about people. It's about principles. And Lord, we vote for those that have biblical principles and a biblical worldview when it comes to life, the family, Israel. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless uh, this in this election. God, we know that you're in control. Uh, and God, we just look to you. And we ask that to just get people out to vote and that they would vote biblically and righteously for your glory. We thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for this great country we're privileged to, to live in. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we continue to get the gospel out to people. 
May Jesus Christ be glorified. Father, may your love be evident. And Lord, uh, just help us and guide us. Thank you again for your blessings. And we look to you uh, for love and grace. Be with Jen today and her family. And uh, Lord, we uh, pray for Bella and Amethyst. And Lord, we pray for them. And Lord, we just uh, we pray for the Spikermans. And God, just uh, we pray you'll comfort that family. And Lord, we look to you. We love you. And we ask you to guide and bless. Now bless the message tonight. And thank you for the, the good attendance this morning and, and uh, the baptisms. Lord, we thank you for touching hearts. And uh, we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you so much again for being here and joining us tonight. Mr. Skrzynski, now come and bring our message. All right. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. Good evening, everybody. Uh, this morning we looked at the helmet of salvation. Tonight we're going to look at the only way uh, for salvation. And as we look at that, of course, if you're a Christian, uh, you know that it's Jesus Christ is the only way. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So as you think of that, and we think about the road to salvation, and we're supposed to, the last command that Jesus gave us before he ascended back up into heaven was to uh, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And so I appreciate the privilege tonight of being able to speak the word of God. And uh, again, let me open with a word of prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you do for us. I pray for our church family. I pray for all that are listening to this message. I pray, Lord, that if anybody's listening and doesn't know you as their Savior, that this would be the time that they trust you and that they would see through the scripture that you're the only way. We praise you. I pray for Pastor. Continue to bless him, encourage him. Be with our church family, Lord. Meet the needs there. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be in probably one of the uh, most uh, uh, famous passages in all the Bible. Of course, John chapter 3. Uh, so if you turn there in your Bibles tonight, and we'll look at John chapter 3. Um, as we look here, of course, you can see on the screen the title of the message is called uh, The Only Way. There is only one way to heaven. Uh, of course, in today's uh, day, they, there's different people that believe that a lot of ways lead to heaven. Well, the Bible doesn't say that at all. It says very clearly, like that verse I just quoted in John 14, 6, that there's only one way. And so uh, the theme tonight, let's look at the next slide here. It says, um, family theme, Jesus offers new life. And uh, the text, of course, is John 3, 1 to 21. And I'm going to actually... Um, as, as we look at that and we, and we think about Jesus offering a new life, you know, in our church, we've been blessed. We've had a lot of new babies now, a lot of, a lot of uh, blessings in our church. And as you see new life, just so precious and just uh, that they'll grow up in your prayer as a parent is that they'll come to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, we saw two uh, kids do uh, follow the Lord and believer baptism this morning. And of course, uh, believer's baptism the, the, the baptism doesn't save you. The baptism is just an outward showing of whatever already has taken place in the heart of that person. And what does that mean? Well, that means that those two boys that were baptized this morning, before they ever stepped into that water, they heard about Jesus Christ from, from the Bible. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they were born again, which is a term we're going to talk about tonight. They were born again and now are on their way to heaven. So they were saved before they ever touched that water today. And so uh, as believers, and we look at those things, 
we'll do that. Well, let's start at the uh, next slide here. It says, uh, Bible basics. Was Jesus part man and part God? Well, the answer is no. First of all, Jesus was fully man. And, and one of the verses that show that is 1 Timothy 2.5, which says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And then look what it says here, the man, Christ Jesus. So, you know, you probably heard people say he was both 100% God, 100% man. And uh, so that verse shows that God was fully man. In fact, we, we see Jesus do many things that a, that a human being would do here. He showed compassion and he showed uh, tears. He, he cried while he was here. Um, he, uh, in the garden, you might remember that he prayed that if it's possible, the cup would pass from him, but he knew that he, he needed to follow the will of the Father. And we saw him be tired. He slept at times. Uh, we saw him hungry. He ate. Uh, we saw the devil take him up in the, in the wilderness and tempt him. And, and as we think of those things, we think of all that, yes, Jesus was 100% man. But he's also 100% God. It says he was fully God at the same time. It says John chapter 1 and verse 10. In John 1.10 it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So you get that there? The world was made by him, made by Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about that not long ago when I spoke. I mentioned Genesis and Genesis when it says, let us make man in our image. Well, why is, the, why is the plural there? Well, because you have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we know as the Trinity. All three were, are eternal beings, and they've been around since before creation, and they participated in, in uh, creation. So when you say he was in the world, the world was made by him, and other he was our creator, and the world knew him not. So then as we go forward here, let's look at the next slide here. And it says, oh, by the way, in that slide it says he had both a human and a divine nature. How it fits here. This lesson is set during the life of Christ on earth. Jesus, the promised Messiah, explained how God the Father sent him to make salvation possible for every person. This is, was what God planned before the foundation of the world. So in other words, we're going to read John 3.16 tonight, of course, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, see, when it talks about this verse, it says, uh, in, this in that slide, it said that God the Father sent him. It doesn't say that everyone will get saved. It says the Father sent him to make salvation possible for every person. In other words, Anybody can get saved. It doesn't matter who you are or what sin you have committed. God will save you if you put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And again, we'll look deeper at that tonight. And as a Christian, you might be saying tonight, well, I know this. I already know that God was man. I know that, that uh, Christ was man and Christ was God. And I know how to get saved. But yeah, but how prepared are we to share it with another person? It's our job. It's not just the pastor's job or the deacon's job or the song leader or whoever it is. It's not just their job to tell people about Jesus. Again, the Great Commission told us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. That's all of us. You will come in contact with people I will never meet. And same with me. I'll come in contact that you will never meet, with people that you will never meet. And so it's all of our jobs to give out the gospel. And so we have to be prepared to do that. And so as we look at uh, John chapter 3, it gives us some uh, equipment there. We've been talking about on Sunday mornings, 
putting on the whole armor of God. Well, why do we put that? Well, the Bible in that chapter in Ephesians says that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, but it's also to prepare us for our spiritual warfare. And believe it or not, telling somebody about Jesus Christ is spiritual warfare because you're concerned for their soul. And if they will trust in Jesus, they'll have eternal life. And if they don't, unfortunately, uh, the Bible says that they'll spend eternity in hell. So we're literally in a life and death spiritual fight. Okay, the next slide says, describe some of the greatest examples of love that we have seen or experienced. And um, we're going to talk about specifically about Christ later, but I think of some of the things that I have seen uh, in this world of, of great examples of love. Uh, one would be a soldier who lays down his life for his country. Uh, we've seen many great Americans do this over the years and sacrifice their life for that. And really, they, like Pastor mentioned this morning, they gave their life so that we can, we can have a, a freedom to live the way we do and to worship the way we do. And so that's a, that's a great example of love because somebody is putting their life on the line to protect us or to serve for us. We see that all the time with first responders as well and uh, things like that. And then, uh, you know, the greatest love that you experience. When I was six, my father passed away. But, you know, I had many, my mom was a great mother and took care of us. But, you know, I had many of the fathers that were of the, of the children I went to school with that stepped in and made sure that I was, I was taken care of. For example, um, there was one father that made sure I got to, to my scouting events. There was another father that when he would go on events with his children, he would invite me. And just over and over again, I saw that as a child, people to help me and, and mold me and make me. And I just appreciate that so much. But that would be earthly love that we're talking about there. But look at the next slide. It says, we see examples of love all around us. But Christ followers know that the greatest example of love ever shown was when the Father sent Jesus into the world to die for mankind. Today, we'll talk more about this incredible gift of love. And, you know, I've mentioned this before. You're probably tired of hearing it. But the truth is, if I had to give either one of my sons life for you to have eternal life, that would not happen. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but I don't love you as much as Christ did. He gave his, uh, God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And what a great show of love that was, a proof. Uh, the Bible says, God commendeth his love towards, towards us, and, thou, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Commend means to prove. Christ proved his love for us. God proved his love for us. And so as you think of that, God sending Jesus into the world to die for me and for you. That's so wonderful. Well, let's look at our first point tonight under study the word here. It says, we must be born again. John 3, 1 through 15. It says, Jesus informed Nicodemus that entry into God's kingdom required a spiritual birth every bit as real as his physical interest in the entrance into this world. Even a very religious man needed this new birth. Well, let's go ahead and read these verses here uh, in John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And we'll look at the story of Nicodemus, and we'll look at of him talking to Christ here. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and, the and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Verse 9 says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do, not, that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So as we look at this and we look at these passages, we're going to go back and look at a few of the verses. Um, but as we go back to verse 1 even, and we look about that, it just says there was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And it says in verse 2 that the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So as you look at this, um, you know, different people have said why Nicodemus came at night. Uh, the most obvious being he probably did not want the other religious leaders of the day to see him coming to Jesus because, of course, they were the ones that were telling the people that it was wrong and they needed to condemn Jesus. And so, obviously, he came at night and he calls him this term, rabbi, which, of course, we know that means teacher. Um, but as you look at that, as you look at, uh, at, at, at verse 2, and it says, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they could denounce who Christ was, but they, couldn't, they, they knew that the miracles he was performing could not be done uh, unless God's hand was in it. And so, you know, you look at the story, and you look, if you look at this whole passage as you come to it, you do see that Nicodemus comes with respect and with truth and sincerity in what he's trying to find out. Um, I can very clearly relate to this. Um, most of you know my background, that I grew up Catholic, and I've been taught from birth that God existed. But that up until 12 years old when I got saved, that knowledge was just here in my head, just like any other fact I would learn, that the sun is so far from the earth, or how far the moon is from the earth, or that there's 24 hours in a day. Those are all facts that were taught to me. But you know, I never doubted that there was a God in my mind, but did that make me already saved and on my way to heaven? Well, the answer to that is simply no, it didn't. Um, I just took what my parents and my church and those people told me by fact. But at some point, which was at 12 years old actually, 
when I went to Awana's and the Awana leader asked me, am I going to heaven? I said, I hope so. Notice I couldn't say yes for sure. If he'd asked me, is there a God? I would have said yes. Is Jesus real? I would have said yes. If he said, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I'd have said yes. Do you believe there's a heaven and hell? I would have said yes. Do you believe the Bible's the word of God? I would have said yes. But he, had, he didn't ask me any of those. Well, he did ask me some of that, but his only question he really wanted to know was, did I know for sure that I was going to heaven? And the only answer I could muster would be, I hope so. And you know what? That man, who I don't even remember his name, but that man shared with me the scriptures that night and showed me that I needed a Savior and, and that I needed it. And so that night I was sincere when I was 12 years old. But you know what? Even though I knew about God and I'd been taught about God since birth, I didn't know him for salvation. And knowing him and knowing him for salvation is two completely different things. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, that, that even Satan knows that and his demons know that and they tremble, but they know who Christ is, but they definitely don't know him like they should. And so as we look at the, as we look as the story goes on, Nicodemus is very sincere in what he's trying to find out. He acknowledges that Christ is a teacher. He acknowledges that God's with him. And then Jesus responds in verse 3. He says, Unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And you know, that term's been thrown around in America for a long time. Born again, being born again. And when you think about your physical birth, you often hear pastor quote his physical birth, and you also hear him quote his spiritual birth. And everybody has to have two births, in order, obviously, in order to go to heaven. Uh, your first birth is every, everybody, if you're alive, you've had that. You've been born of your parents. You've had a physical birth. A spiritual birth is when you realize that, hey, I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. I need to be reconciled to God, but there's no way I can do it myself. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It's just that I put my faith and trust in what God provided for me on Calvary through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for my sin. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But Christ just tells Nicodemus flat out, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, remember, we've talked about Christ, but remember who Nicodemus was. Again, it says he was a man of the Pharisees. What does that mean? It means he was a religious, spiritual leader of the day. But was he a Christian? No, not at this time. Not when he came to uh, talk to Christ. He wasn't a Christian then. But yet he was the one that was put in uh, his responsibility to teach about um, how to get to heaven. But he didn't know himself. And the scripture was there. The prophecy was there. They studied the, 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 the Old Testament. But yet they didn't see it for themselves. They didn't see the Christ that was right. In fact, he's talking to the Christ and he's going to realize who he is before the conversation is over. So he says this, that a man has to be born again or he won't see the kingdom of God. But then in verse 4, Nicodemus says this to him. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, Nicodemus isn't asking this to mock Christ. He's asking because he really doesn't understand what Christ is talking about. You know, a lot of times you and I, when we share the gospel... We get frustrated because the first time we share the gospel with somebody, they won't accept the Lord as their Savior. Well, the problem is this is all new to them. Even in church, if you had a brand new person that walked in and was hearing the gospel for the first time, um, sometimes get, people get saved the first time they hear the gospel, but usually 
they have to really understand what's going on and what, what it means to trust Christ as their Savior. And again, for one person, it might be one service and one sermon. It might be somebody else that you have to take your time and go through the scriptures. And regardless of at what point they do that, they have to understand it before they can do it. And verse 4, that's what all Nicodemus is trying to do is understand. Well, verse 5, Jesus answers him again and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Now you may think the way I do my lesson is a little bit different. I always read the whole passage, and then I like to come back uh, you know, and, and look at it verse by verse. But as you do that, Christ is doing the same thing with Nicodemus. He's, he, Nicodemus is asking specific questions. Jesus is answering those questions, but then he's also telling him what, other things that he needs to know. You ever needed to ask a question, but you didn't even know what to ask? I've been that many times in, in, when I've been, maybe I've been trained something or I've been learning something new, whether it be uh, on the job or whatever, but maybe you've been taught something and you, you're so lost in what you need to accomplish that you don't even know the right question to ask to get you on track. Well, that's kind of where I see Nicodemus. See, I'm that way with somewhat with computers. I don't even know what to ask or if I'm having trouble with my phone, sometimes I don't know what to ask. But I still want to find out how to use that or how to do it properly. Uh, but sometimes I have to be guided or directed back to the right thing. And that's what Christ does. He says, he, he, what he's trying to do in this little bit where he's gone back and forth, uh, he says in this first marvel, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. But he's trying to get Nicodemus to say, okay, we are talking about a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Right now, I'm trying to get you to focus on the spiritual birth. So when I, what Christ is basically saying is, when I tell you you need to be born again, I'm talking about your spiritual birth, not the re-physical birth of, of, your, you know, of you and your mother and so on. And so um, Jesus mentions that, and again he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Then verse 8, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So he talks about something that you can't see. Now in this case, Nicodemus have the privilege of seeing Christ in the flesh. But Christ says to him here in this verse, he says, the wind blows, you can hear it, you can see things moving because the wind's blowing, but he says, you cannot see the wind. And it says here, um, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He says, in other words, you cannot see God in the, you know, he saw Christ in the flesh, but he cannot see God, but yet he's there and he's real. And so, you know, it's a back and forth question and answer. In verse 9, Nicodemus answers and says to him, how can these things be? In other words, really Christ is just blowing Nicodemus' mind with this information. Remember, he's a religious leader of the Pharisees. He's had a strict upbringing. He's been, he's been taught very strict out of the scriptures, but yet he has a lot of head knowledge, but he doesn't understand how to change that into the life-changing experience that we call salvation and to know for sure he's on his way to heaven. He wants to know what the world is searching for, which is how, what happens after this life on earth. And that's what some of the questions he just says to Jesus. He's, he doesn't know what else to ask. He just says, how can these things be? And then when you look at verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? In other words, you're a Pharisee. You're a leader of the people. You're a religious leader of the day. How can you not know this? Then Jesus says in verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak what we do not know, or, or that we do know. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. I went backwards here. We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. In other words, Christ says, I've been telling you who I am. The scripture have told who I am. But it says here, you receive not the witness. But you know what? That's what Nicodemus is there to do this night. He's here to find out. And verse 12 says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, he says, I'm trying to get you off earthly things and to believe in heavenly things. Verse 13 says, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Who is he talking about? Christ is talking about himself, how he left heaven, came down here in the flesh, and lived and is living the life and is soon going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now we're not going to go back to those verses in the Bible, but they are found in Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. And it's mentioning to a specific event where God let poisonous serpents or snakes out and they were biting the people uh, they let him go there and so Moses he told Moses to take uh, exactly what he's referring to here and he says he, it was a it was a pole basically with a serpent on it and he told the people if you look at this you will not die you won't be bitten and you know what the people had to do by complete blind faith they had to put their trust in the fact that what God had told Moses to do, that if they did what God told Moses for the people to do, they would live. If not, they would die. And you know what? It was a perfect picture of exactly this, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. That's what that picture was back in Numbers chapter 21, verse 5 through 9. I encourage you to look at that story on your own and to look at it and see where basically the people were given a physical deliverance, but they were given that physical deliverance by their faith and trust in what God said. And by the way, that's what you and I do when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're basing it on what God said in this book. And that's, by the way, can't go wrong with that. God cannot lie. A man can lie, but God cannot lie. So we can't go wrong with that. So when he mentions this in verse 14 about Moses listing up the serpent, He's talking about the staff that Moses lifted up that had the serpent on it. And as long as the person looked at that, the snakes wouldn't bite them. And so as you think of that, and we look to Christ by, by faith, and then verse 15 just simply says, it's, it's almost, 15 and 16 are almost a paraphrase of one another, even though 15 shorter. It says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Remember we talked about any can be saved? It says right here in this verse, whosoever. That includes everybody. It's an all-inclusive word. Whosoever. In Romans it says, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so it says that in Romans. And so, again, as we look at that and we say, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so, Jesus here is directing Nicodemus to himself to say, I am the Son of God, all the stuff I've told you, the thing the Pharisees are condemning me for, but I'm still Him. I'm the Creator, I'm the, I'm the Creator, I'm the Savior of the world. 
And so as you think of the, about the, the importance of that, it's just amazing. Well, let's look at the next uh, regular slide where it says zoom in here. It says, I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. Do you realize that you, me, or anybody else in this world, none of us can get saved until we know we need a Savior. And you know what? Nicodemus needed to know that even though he was a Pharisee, even though he was a religious leader, all those things didn't matter. He needed a Savior. See, a lot of times we, we compare ourselves to other people. We say, well, I'm better than that person. I'm doing better than that. Well, hey, at least I'm not a murderer. I don't know how many times in my life I've either said that or had somebody say it to me. Well, at least I'm not a murderer. Like, that's the worst thing in the world. You know, it's not a good thing, obviously. But, you know, everybody sins. And, you know, somebody posted the one that says, hey, don't judge someone because they sin differently than you. We all sin. And if you can't realize that, just think about what's some of the things I thought about in the last 24 hours. What's some of the things I've done that I knew I shouldn't have done in the last 24 hours? A bad thought, a bad word, a bad action, just different things God's told us to do in the Scripture and we don't do them. See, it doesn't take much. You know, we think of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are just one part of the Scripture in Exodus, but you know what? The Ten Commandments are great, but you know, if I could follow all Ten Commandments without breaking them, which is impossible, but if I could follow all ten without breaking them, I still wouldn't go to heaven because there's tons of other things that I have broken. But you know, I don't have to go too far in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. In other words, I'm not supposed to lie. You know what? I'm smart enough to know that I've lied in my lifetime, and you should be too. And more than once, couldn't we say that? If I had to count up my sins, that would be all an impossible job because first of all, I wouldn't be able to remember them all. But second of all, um, even, even if I could remember them all, it would take forever for me to write them all down. You ask Theo, is it one? No, more than one. Is it a hundred? No, it's more than a hundred in my life. Theo, is it more than a thousand? Yes, it's more than a thousand. Hey, Theo, it's more than a million? Yeah, it's more than a million. I don't even know how many. Probably more than, I don't know, a billion could be. I don't know. But you think about all of us have sinned. There's nobody better than anybody else. See, I put this, I put this suit on because I believe it's right to dress the best I have for God. I do it for God, not for others. I do it for God. Now, admittedly, we have a dress standard here when we come on campus and we're a leader and we, we have things that we do. But, you know, the truth is I put this on because I want to show respect for God. I want to show the best for him. But you know what? Clothing this on doesn't make me any better than anybody else. I'm still the same person on the inside. I've sinned. Uh, Romans points it out to us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like I said, the word whosoever is all-inclusive, so is the word all. <laughs> if it says all have sinned, that's everyone. That, that's everybody you can think of in the world. The best person you can think of that always seems to be helping others, always doing what's right. The truth is, they have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another part in Scripture, the Bible tells us all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It says that. So in this, in this slide it says, I cannot save myself, I need a Savior. Then the next slide says, apply it. All people should recognize their need for a new spiritual birth and exalt Christ as the source of spiritual truth and the provider of salvation. What does that mean? God is the author of salvation. And everybody has to recognize they need a Savior. And everybody needs to recognize that the only way we're getting to heaven is through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He truly is, as the Bible says, 
a mediator between God and man. So that's how we apply it. How do we apply it? We realize we need spiritually born again. And if we already know that, if we know, hey, we are spiritually, we are born again, then our job is to share that with others. How dare we have the solution for all mankind and not share it with other people? And I'm going to be the first to admit, I don't share it as often as I should. And how can we do that? Well, passing out a gospel track, talking to people about God, sharing the word of God with them and telling them, this is what God's truth says. As we go to the next slide, we're talking about it right now, but it says, what does it mean to be born again? Well, that means that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, so you've had a spiritual birth. Remember, born again, you've had your physical birth and you've had your spiritual birth. And then it says, why is being religious not enough to get us into the kingdom of God? Well, we're seeing it right here with Nicodemus. Being religious does not save anyone. In fact, all the religious leaders of Christ's day when he stepped here on earth did not recognize that he was the Messiah, the Savior, that was prophesied in the Scripture, even though they were the ones that were supposed to know Scripture the best. Now, granted, some of them did find the truth and get born again, just like Nicodemus here. But you know, the truth is, not all of them did. Some of them died and went to hell and have been there ever since. It's just the truth, the fact of the matter. The only ones that were saved were those that trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. When you think about the earth today, uh, whether you're Catholic or not, probably the most religious figure that is seen around the world and that is, that is alive is the Pope. But you know what? I can tell you this about the Pope. He's not a perfect man, and he has sinned. And without a Savior, he'll be lost, and he will also perish. But you know what? If he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he too will be saved. And so as we look at that, we see that. Now let's look at the next point here. Next slide, next point. It says, God sent Jesus to save us, John 3, 16 to 21. It says, God did not send Jesus to, to us in order to condemn us. We had already taken care of that through our own sin and unbelief. No, he sent him to save us, and, and especially it mentions verse, uh, verses 17 and 18. But let's just go ahead and read this passage, and we'll come back and take a quick look at it. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the um, only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Verse 21 says, But he that doeth um, truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So as we go through this little passage, we, we, we mentioned, uh, it mentioned in there that God, in, the, in that slide, that God did not need to send Jesus to us in order to condemn us. We had already taken care of that. So let's go back to verse 16. And as much as you've heard verse 16, I want you to look at it with fresh eyes tonight and just break it apart. It says, first of all, it says, for God. Okay, God is our creator, we know that. And then the next two words say, so loved. In other words, God loves you. In the Bible it says, we love him because he first loved us. God loved us first. 
And by the way, we talked about this before, but he's take time to create you. He's made you special and different than everybody else on this earth. You have different talents, different abilities, different looks, everything. God still took time to create you individually. Uh, think about it. There's 7 billion people alive on this world today. I don't know how many have lived in the time of the generations before us, uh, but every single one has been created individual and separate. That proves God loves for us. Uh, God says, before we were formed in the womb, God knew us. But it says, God so loved the world. In other words, again, the world indicates everybody. Whosoever, that's everybody. That's the world. When you say he loved the world, that doesn't leave anybody out. And then it says that he gave. He gave us a gift. What was that gift? It says, his only begotten son. Who's his son? Jesus Christ. That whosoever, here's that word again, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You want to know why I'm going to heaven? Let's just break it down. Very simple. Because I believe in Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for my Savior. I'm going to heaven because God loved me so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for me on a cross to pay the debt for my sin of which I'm not worthy and neither are you. And yet he did that and because I put my faith and trust that he did that for me and that I believe him, that's the only reason I'm going to heaven is because Christ provided a way for me and that it was a free gift. A uh, pastor quoted it this morning, I believe, whereas Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that it's not a gift, or that it is a gift, and that it's not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if it was just working our way to heaven, that verse tells us, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it tells us very clearly that there's no way to work your way to heaven. It says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. I would just brag. Uh, look at the verse here. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then look at verse 9 not of works, lest any man should boast or brag. And so as you look at that, um, it says, whosoever believeth in him, and then it says, should not perish, but have everlasting life, back in verse 16. So as we look at that, and we've looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then in verse 17, now look what this says here. It tells us in verse 16 that God loved us so much, he gave his son, we believe in him, we won't perish, we'll have everlasting life. And look what it said in verse 17. Remember that he said God in verse 16, that he sent him in love? In verse 17, he says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, he says here, that's not why I sent God. What did it say back in verse 16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in other words, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him to save the world. He sent him to save the world. And then look at this. It says, but that the world through him might be saved. So see the difference here? He didn't send Jesus for condemnation. He sent Jesus for salvation. There's a big difference there. Big difference there. And why did he do it? It was motivated by love. It said that God so loved the world. God could have just gave up on mankind. He could have just said, forget it. But you know what? He loved us so much. He loved his creation so much that he provided a home in heaven in eternity forever. We've lost several great people in our church recently. We've lost Spike and his wife Bonnie, you know where they are today? Heaven. We've lost Les Ewers, you know where he's at today? Heaven. We've lost other people and different ones over the years. But the truth is, is that if they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to heaven because of what Christ did for them. And then jumping forward to verse 18, it says, He that believeth, not, or believeth on him is not condemned. In other words, you believe on Jesus Christ, you're not condemned. Why? Because you're good? No, because Jesus is the perfect Savior, 
and he died for you on the cross. So if we, if we believe on him, it says we're not condemned. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be condemned. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and live. But look what it says here. But he that believeth not is condemned already. In other words, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. Your fate is sealed in hell with the devil. But the truth is, as long as you breathe on this earth, you have time to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and to change that destiny from hell to heaven. As long as you breathe on this earth. But once you stop breathing on this earth, it's too late to change it. But it says here, He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because we didn't believe who Jesus was and what he did for us that on that cross, we're condemned already. But see, once we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we're no longer condemned because we have that eternal life. Verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. See, we see that all through history. See, we're seeing it now in our country. We see people that love evil more than they love good, and they want to call things that are good evil and evil good. But the truth is, when you think of sin in your life and my life, what do we try to do with sin? We try to do it where no one else will see it. We try to do it where no one else will find out. We try to cover our sin. I think of Achan back in the Old Testament. I always call that story, Achan became bacon because God decided to because he wouldn't repent of what he did and, and what happened. He, unfortunately, he lost his physical life. But, you know, Achan took the treasure that he had stolen from the people that they had conquered that he wasn't supposed to take. He had taken their spoils, their gold and all those kind of things, and he buried them in his tent. He didn't put them up on these pedestals and say, hey, look, look at all the spoil I brought back from the victor. No, he hid them in the ground because he didn't want other people to find out about his sin. And so, again... Light is coming to the world. Who's the light that's coming to the world? Jesus Christ. And who are, you know, when the Bible says we're supposed to be the light, you know what that means? We're supposed to tell other people about the light. We're supposed to, we're supposed to, the Bible says we're an epistle read of men. We're supposed to point people to Christ. But it says their deeds were evil. And by the way, not just their deeds, but our deeds were evil too. When we do what's wrong, when we sin, those are evil. And we don't need to do them. We need to look to God and confess our sin and be right with Him. But you know the truth is, he's paid the sin debt on Calvary for us. And then verse 20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be what? Reproved. Reproved means to be corrected. You think back to the story in the Genesis of Cain and Abel. See, Cain decided to, to, that he was going to kill Abel. But you know what? He didn't have to do that. God told him what was wrong with his sacrifice. He told him how, it was, how he could correct it and how he could get it right. And all Cain had to do, he was reproved by God. He was corrected by God. All Cain needed to do was change the way he was doing his offering and do it correctly. But yet he chose instead, rather than being reproved, he cho chose to refuse that, that correction, and he made a decision to kill his brother. And what a terrible decision that was. But we do that too sometimes. And verse 21 says, but he that doeth truth cometh the light. In other words, if you're doing what's right, you don't mind the light shining on you. Why? Because you're doing what you're supposed to do. That his deeds may be manifest. Manifest just means to make known. But look what it says, that they are wrought in God. What are, what are, what are good deeds done? Well, they're wrought from God, but they're wrought in God. You and I can't do any good thing on our own. And if I'm going to do any good thing in my life, it's going to be because God and Jesus are a part of it. It's their will for my life. 
So let's look at uh, the zoom in, the next slide here on the zoom in here. It says, God loves all people. We saw that in John 3.16. Uh, and wants us to know him. He offers salvation and forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. We see that clearly throughout this whole passage, but no more clearly than in verses 15 through 18. Um, again, talking about that God sent him into the world for love because he loves us, and God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world or to die from that, but that the world through him might be saved. And so, again, um, he offers salvation and forgiveness of sin. And again, who does he offer it to? Everybody. You know, we all know that one person that we think will never know Christ as their Savior. But you know what? You and I were that person to somebody else's thought before we got saved. They thought that person will never get saved. You know, we all think of somebody that's done some horrible deed and think, that person can never get saved. Well, the truth is, yes, they can. They can, again, just because Christ has provided a way if they'll just believe. And then if we look at the next slide, it says, apply it. We trust in Christ alone for salvation. We follow and obey him out of love and appreciation for what he has done for us. And then look at the next slide. It says, how is obeying God out of love and appreciation different from obeying him out of obligation? You know what? The book of James deals with this very clearly. And a lot of people look at the book of James and they say, see, that's proof that you need to earn your salvation, that you need to do good works. But no. James actually shows a completely different picture. He says, you know, he says, I want to see your works. Somebody that says they're saved, I want to see their works. Why? Because a person that is saved will want to do good works because Christ has called him to do that. The Bible's ordained him to do that. But see, in, in James, it covers that topic very clearly that it's not, he's not trying to teach in James that, the, that, um, that you have to do good works to get to heaven. He's teaching that, Good works is a natural byproduct of being saved. I always compare it to this. If you were dying, let's say I fell, dropped dead here on the floor. Uh, not, well, let's say I'm not dead yet, okay? I dropped on the floor because I'm having a heart attack. Right now, the only person in the room with me is my son, Mark. Now, my son, Mark, could say, you know, I'm awful busy. I got the computer here, and I'm watching the internet. I got things going on. But you know what? If he came down here, he's been, all of us staff at the school and stuff, we've been trained in CPR, we've been trained in stuff. If he came down, down and started to attend to me, dial 911, started doing chest compressions, even maybe had to go back to our office and get the defibrillator, whatever, he would do whatever it takes to save my physical life. If I, if I got saved from that, I would forever want to do good things. I already want to do good things for him because he's my son, but you know, I would forever want to do good things because he saved my physical life. Well, it's only natural that Christ, who saved us from an eternal damnation in hell, separated from God forever in a place of torment, that he provided a way of salvation where I could have the complete opposite in heaven and I could trust uh, that I go to heaven and I get a perfect place that I don't deserve because Christ paid the price for my sin debt. It's only natural that here on earth, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you'll want to do good works because of that. See, most people want to clean up their life before they come to God, and God says, no, come to me as you are, filthy, dirty, rotten. Come to me as you are. I'll make you a new creature. And that's what we need to focus on. It says here, how is obeying God out of love and appreciation different from obeying him out of obligation? See, when we feel obligated, what do we feel like? This weight is always on us. And of course, we compare it to our children. We talk about how, hey, we tell the child to take out the trash, and they'll do it. 
but they're grumbling, their attitude's wrong, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, the truth is, as adults, when we get corrected, sometimes the same things happen. We get grumbling, we get, we get, we get all those things. And, um, but when we do it just for God, and you know what, we've got to choose that every day when we serve God, we've got to say, hey, if somebody gives you the glory because of something you did for God, you've got to give him the credit. You've got to thank God for all the good things he's done in your life and all he's doing for you. But it's so different to do it out of love than out of obligation. And it says, in what ways should we respond to God's love and grace? Well, obviously, constantly be thankful for it. Be thankful that God loved me so much that he sent his son down to die and to provide a way in heaven for me. And then, how do we respond to God's love and grace? We don't keep it in, we share it with others. We tell them how they can be born again. And then the last slide here says, live it. It says, how might a non-religious person react when hearing Jesus' words, you must be born again? What objections might this person offer? Well, they may say, well, I'm a good person. We've heard that before. Um, things like that. But it says, how could you answer the non-religious person's objections? Well, you know what? The scripture, like we're talking about tonight, show them what God says. Tell them what God did in your life. Tell them how God saved you. Show them in the scripture how God's word tell it's true. And then we, we do that. We show them God's love and grace through that. And then it says, how might a religious person react when hearing that he or she must be born again? Again, this, what? You're talking to me? Nicodemus could have said, you got to be kidding me. I've given my whole life to the study of the scripture. I, I, I do all the, the things you tell us to do when we meet. And uh, they could say, I do all these good things in your name. But you know, um, that person could deny the fact that they need a savior. And lastly, it says, how can we answer the religious person's objections? We just take them to the book of the Romans where it says, for all have sinned, or there is no, none righteous, no, not one. Those are all found in Romans. And there's lots of other places in Scripture we can go as well. Bottom line tonight. First of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a time where you can look back to in your life where you personally told Jesus, I trust what you did for me on the cross. I trust you. It's not the words you say specific. It's the belief that you put in him. It's that you say, hey, the Bible tells me that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. The Bible tells me I needed a savior. I believe that. The Bible says God created me. I believe that. See, when we believe in what Christ did for us on the cross, and we believe that that's the only way we're saved, that's the only way we can have a home in heaven. So again, the bottom line is, first of all, do we know that? Do we know that we're going to heaven? Then second of all, if we are saved, how much time do we spend sharing it with others and telling other people? You know, again, I mentioned that heart attack. What if, what if my son knew how to work the defibrillator? He knew how to give the chest pumps, but yet he just chose not to do it. That's kind of the way we are when we don't share salvation. We have the life-saving thing that everybody in the world needs. Now, there's no, you know, when you sell a product, only certain people need it. But Jesus Christ, everybody needs. And so our job is to evangelize the world. And so we have to be not selfish and we need to share it. And we, you know what? I know why most of us don't share it because I have the same feelings you do. We're scared. We're afraid they're going to reject us. We're afraid they're going to be mean to us. Or we're afraid. But you know what? They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. You know, if I came up here and my son was going to give me, well, first of all, I'd be unconscious, so it'd be impossible. But let's say he started doing life-saving measures on me and I started pushing him off me and just shoving him out of the way and not letting him do what he needed to do. Maybe I was bleeding or maybe those kind of things. You know, 
we, we just have to, we have to just tell people so that they can have a lifeline or have a way. Believe me, the world is seeking it. They seek it through drugs. They seek it through alcohol. They seek it through entertainment. They seek it through money. They're all trying to find happiness. And the truth is, it's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone and in God, the God of our creation. And so I hope this has challenged you tonight to look into the Scripture more. And I hope it's challenged you to share your faith more. But most of all, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, hopefully it's challenged you to say to read this over again and say, wow, it tells me I can know. Again, I mentioned this many times, 1 John 5.13. That's the verse that mentions you can know you have eternal life by believing in Jesus. And again, it mentions it in this passage as well. But in 1 John 5.13, it says you can know you have eternal life. So when I say I know I have eternal life, I'm not saying it because I think I'm a great person. I'm not saying it because I think I've done enough good things to get me into heaven. I'm saying it because the Bible tells me that I can know those things. And so as we close tonight in prayer, I want you to know that. And if you, you, know, if you feel like you need further guidance on this or help with any way, please contact our church. There's many ways to contact us through the phone, through the internet, different ways. But just contact us and say, hey, I'd like to know more about salvation. Because I know if this is the first of all, if this is the first time you're hearing this, it's a lot to digest. But it might be the 10th time. It might be the 100th time you've heard this. But you know what? The truth is you need a Savior. And I needed a Savior. There was no way I could get to heaven without my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all you do for us. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless the giving out of your word. I pray, Lord, that the word would just divide and uh, divide hearts asunder. And just, uh, Lord, it will just help people to see their need of you. And then, Lord, those of us that know you, help it to convict us to spread, to give the gospel out in different ways that we can do it. We praise you, God, that you loved us that much. We praise you for your salvation. We praise you for your grace and mercy towards us. We thank you for all you've done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you and have a good evening.